I'm Dennis Levick. This is my lovely wife, Tracy. Hi, I'm John Rudnick. We're Barry and Anita Chenault. My name's Edward Devlin. My name is Rosalie Devlin. Hi, we are Brent and Sheila Howell. My name is Matt Leesman. Hi, my name is Hannah Rollins. My name is Chad Peterson. Prayer to me is something that I, I struggle with in the way that I feel like I have to have some kind of formal conversation with God. And it's not having that formal conversation. It's just talking to Him from your heart. Uh, we do it differently. She likes to have the door closed, the Word open. I talk to God. I know my pathway to God is through Jesus. But I talk to God like He's my friend. I know that He is the God that sees us. He is the God that knows our names. He's the God that knows what we're doing at all times. Um, having a small group, uh, it just seemed like the right thing to do. We feel so at home here that we want to branch out. We want to, you know, invite people who want to participate in a small group. Uh, we want to bring people who may not um, come to the church. It's very important to be connected to people who love Christ and have the same wants and needs as far as the fellowship and, you know, being obedient to God. Well, good morning again, church. Hey, why don't you go ahead and get out your bulletins here. I just want to direct your attention to just a couple of really quick announcements, okay? Um, in case you missed it, one of the things that we've been saying over the past few weeks, and we want to say it again for the people in the back, is that small group season is beginning today. We want every single person to be a part of a small group here at Coastal. And even if you have been in one before, have never been in one before, are unsure about being in one, I just want to challenge you to step into one and literally to test drive it for a season. In fact, this semester, we have two four-week sessions um, where we're going to be talking about what we're talking about on Sunday morning and then discussing it together in small groups. So you, don't only, you only have to commit for four weeks, then maybe another four weeks. Then if you're like, these people are crazy, I don't want to be around them, like, that's okay. Like, you can wait to the next small group season, but we want everyone to step into a small group this season and to test drive one. And then um, this is not in your bulletin, but... I want to go in and make this announcement. Coming up on October, in October, um, the Saturday before Halloween, we're going to be doing a trunk or treat as a church. Um, so that's going to be coming up. We're going to load up the community with sugar and care as well. So start praying now for how you can get involved and connected in that. But you'll be hearing more details next Sunday and in the following weeks about how we're going to just kind of connect with the community as this trunk or treat comes up. Um, so I think that's it. Any other thing I should announce? Why are you here? Just hanging out. Okay, that's good. Wouldn't hey, get down. Guys, I am so glad to have the Hunter Boone joining me as we open up the very first part of this series called An Open Door. Over the next few weeks, you're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. In fact, I wanted to ask you guys a question to begin. How many of you know the Lord's Prayer? Raise your hand up. You know the Lord's Prayer? You know what? I would, I would dare say most of you probably have either heard it or said it at some point. Even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you probably have even heard it in a movie. You may have even had it recited, even if you have no idea who Jesus is yet. 
In fact, many of you, you probably have memorized and probably are even familiar with the Lord's Prayer that's found in Matthew chapter 6, probably particularly the King James Version of that prayer. And if somebody started to even begin to recite that prayer, I think most of you could probably even begin to recite it along with them, even if you had to mumble through some parts. In fact, we're going to do that right now. Now, now don't worry, we're going to put the words up on the screen, uh, but let's all recite the Lord's Prayer together in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, the King James Version. Let's read it out loud together. It says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And again, how many guys have heard that before? You've said that before, raise your hand up. Yeah, yeah, most people have. So if you look around, you see a lot of hands going up. So we've all probably heard it at the very least. Even if you're not a believer, you've probably heard this prayer at some point or another. Um, but do we know how we're supposed to use it? Or do we just know that it's in the Bible somewhere? Have we just heard it? Or do we know what it's for? Uh, I'm going to set up the sermon series that we're about to be going through for the next several weeks here. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer verse by verse, right? We're going to take one verse at a time and actually break it down and understand what Jesus is instructing us to pray. It's not what he's instructing us to pray, it's how he's instructing us to pray. So one verse at a time, we're going to look at that prayer, uh, and that's what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks. So as we do that, uh, my encouragement to you is this, whether you're a believer, whether you've been a believer forever, whether you're not a believer you can benefit from this. You can benefit from some personal evaluation. So as we go through this sermon series, keep this question in the front of your mind. Do I have a healthy prayer life? That's right. And church, I really do believe with all of my heart for us to grow in this season, for us to be all that God's called us to be, we need to grow in prayer. If we're going to be authentic followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to really reach our community, if we're going to really care for those people that God has put in our circles, in and around us, we need to grow in prayer. Prayer is to be powerful and it is to be effective. It is supposed to be deeply spiritual, but also faith building. And it's not supposed to be this last resort that we often use it as or this underutilized spiritual discipline, but really it needs to be a priority. Jesus prioritized prayer. In fact, oftentimes he would go off to pray and he was often showing his disciples how they should pray, that they need to abide in prayer. In fact, one day Luke in his gospel records that Jesus' disciples simply asked them, hey, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, pray like this. And he gave them this model prayer to follow that we now know as the Lord's Prayer. Now, this model prayer was never designed to be just repeated again and again and again, but instead Jesus said, look, pray then like this. He said, pray like this. So instead, this prayer was supposed to lead us to magnify the Father. It was supposed to lead us to this greater dependence on Christ. And it's supposed to lead us to actually asking God to let his Holy Spirit do the work that he wants to do in us and through us. Church, what could happen if we didn't just memorize the Lord's Prayer, but instead we actually followed it. 
In fact, right out the gate, I want to give you two tools that I want you to be able to utilize as we go through this series over the next four weeks. Uh, The first tool I want to give you is prayer meeting and small groups. In fact, on Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m., Straight out these doors to the left, we have a little prayer room. And every single Sunday, about eight to 10 people gather to pray in there. And what we do, we pray for the needs of the church, we pray for the needs of the community, and we praise God. And I would challenge you, maybe at some point over the next few weeks as we go through this series, step into that prayer room if you want to grow into that area. It's open from 8.30 a.m. to about 10 a.m. And again, you can go in and out. You don't have to stay in there the entire time. But this could help you grow in your prayer life. And again, I know I've said this so many times, but in case you miss it again, we want everyone to be in a small group. In fact, for the next four weeks, we're going to be going through each one of these prayer prompts that Jesus gave, studying this in small groups, but actually putting it into practice because we want to grow in prayer this semester. And then the second thing tool I want to give you is just another way to think about Jesus's template. As we go through this series, I want you to think P-R-A-Y. They think that in the word prayer, the letter P stands for praise, that we need to think about when we're praying, how can we praise God for who he is, praise him for the things that he's done. The R means to repent. How can we take some time in our prayer to say, God, search my heart. Is there anything out of alignment with you? God, is there something that I need to confess? God, is there a relationship that I need to go seek reconciliation on? Man, we need to be good repenters as we pray. So ask God to search our hearts and say, God, how can I repent? What do I need to repent of? And then the A stands for ask. Now, again, this is often where we start. We start with our requests. But when we get to this point, we pray for the needs of others. But then we present anything we need, asking God for anything we need. And then to think the why in prayer stands for yield. That whatever we're praying for, at the end of the day, we submit it to God. We submit it to Christ. His will be done. In fact, when we pray that way, it literally changes our perspective in prayer. And today, as we kick off this series, man, we're going to see that Jesus was already showing his disciples how important prayer was. And we're going to see how some interactions with some hypocrites and a simple question by his disciples led to Jesus teaching his disciples how we should pray. But before we go any further, how about we take another opportunity to pray? Hunter, would you pray for us before we go any further? Heavenly Father, uh, we just come before you today and we praise you because you're worthy of our praise, um, because we can call you our Father and know that it's true. God, we praise you for the message of the gospel. Um, We praise you for the fact that you had a plan for our salvation before we were even born. We, We thank you, Lord. We praise you that... You have called us from darkness into light, God. You have called us to to yield our lives to you, to live according to your will. And God, I pray this morning that by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would begin to do that. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your great love for us. And we praise you today. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Just a quick context while you're turning there, what we're going to be looking at. Matthew chapter 6 is smack in the middle of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Basically what this is, is Jesus had been going throughout Galilee, uh, performing miracles, healing people, uh, and he started to develop a crowd that was following him to witness his next miracle. And at a certain point, he realizes that there's a crowd following him, and he takes the opportunity to teach them about a whole number of different things, including 
how to pray, and that's where we pick up here today in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. So starting in verse 5, it says this. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Okay, we're going to stop right there. Before we get into how we're supposed to pray, let's address what Jesus told us first, right? How not to pray. Look back here um, at verse 5. It says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Uh, They pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. The first point today is sometimes when we start with prayer, we make it all about us. We make it all about us. Um, That's your first underline. I'll give you an example of what it looks like to pray and make a prayer all about you. Last Thanksgiving, my family said, hey, Hunter, you're, you're, you work at a church now, right? You should pray for the meal. And I said, y'all want me to pray for the meal, huh? You, you bust out your cameras because you're about to wit- witness something special. Some people about to get saved after this prayer right here. It's about to be something special, okay? You're going to want to get this on camera. I'm kidding, I didn't actually say that, but most people wouldn't, right? Like, we don't usually start our prayers with, look at me. At least, most of us don't. I know that there are some people that probably do pray that way, and Jesus is definitely addressing those people in this passage. But I think he's also addressing another group of people. Um, And so let me rephrase this question a bit. You may not be arrogant when you pray. You may not go into prayer with a heart posture like I just explained, but... Have you ever been asked to pray in front of a group of people and been a little bit nervous? Have you ever prayed in front of a group of people and then 10 minutes later thought, I just prayed something heretical. I just prayed something theologically incorrect. Oops. Have Have you ever? If you do that, and I think that we all have, we've all been in that boat, right? I would tell you that those nerves and those thoughts might be a sign to you that your prayers are more self-oriented than you think. It means that what other people's opinions of your prayer, it, it matters to you. Others people, other people's opinions of your prayer matters to you. And I think Jesus is addressing that as well when he says, do not make your prayers all about yourself. I think that's why Jesus had to specifically say something because we, we all do this. We should not start by making our prayers all about us. Now, one response to this would be to just say, okay, fine. I'm not going to pray in front of anybody ever. Pastor Gree, what do you think about that? Now, one of the things that I think is really challenging about this passage is that Jesus says this in verse 6. Look at this passage again. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. So some people have used this passage and say, you know what, that's the reason why I don't pray out loud and why I don't pray in public or with other people. So what's Jesus saying right here that our prayer should only be private, that it should only be between you and God. Now, there's no doubt you should have a private prayer life. 
In fact, it is good to even have a place where you go where you're secluded and you're going to have no distractions around you so you can focus on talking to your heavenly father. Yes, that is true. But we know from passages in scripture that Jesus, yes, he would go off and pray privately, but yet he also prayed publicly as well. Jesus modeled so many times how we should pray. And so he did both. He prayed privately, but he also prayed publicly. Now, there is a place for public prayer, but if we're only praying out loud or in public because we want all the attention on ourselves, then that's where the problem comes in. It's a matter of our heart posture. In other words, is your heart focused on, when it comes to prayer, is it only focused on what you want, what you desire? Is there anything what you're praying for, you're actually even focused on the things that God wants? Are your prayers only self-focused and only self-centered? You know, Luke actually records a story that Jesus tells about two people's heart postures when they were actually praying in public. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, verse 10. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. And again, the temple was this public place. Other people could have witnessed this, so they were praying in public. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And you can just hear the pride in his voice as he's talking to God. You can hear his heart posture. Really, he's talking about only his desires. And in fact, even in his prayer, he's tearing down other people to build himself up. So again, when you're praying, is there even a heart posture in you where you're tearing down somebody else in your prayers to build somebody else up? In fact, husbands and wives sitting in the room, when you do pray together, are you praying that God would change that person because they're a slob, because they're messed up, because they don't do things right? Like, is that your prayer when you're praying with them? Are you tearing them down to build yourself up? Like, even in that case, Jesus is saying, look, check your heart. Don't be like the hypocrites. But listen to how the tax collector prayed. I remember tax collectors were some of the most reviled people in the public space back in the first century. In fact, I love how sometimes the Bible says that uh, there are all these sinners and tax collectors. Now, you know, like you are messed up or jacked up if the Bible gives you your own category when it comes to sin. And in verse 13, Jesus says, but the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Even in prayer, it comes back to a matter of our heart posture. Are your prayers all about you? Another way that we often start our prayers, not only do we um, make them all about us, but another way we often start our prayers or oftentimes we start praying is that we make our prayers all robotic. Write this down. We make all of our prayers robotic. Look, Jesus said in verse 7, he was talking about the hypocrites, the ones who are making prayers all about them, 
They would heap up these empty phrases, Jesus says. In fact, some other translations of the Bible will have um, meaningless repetitions that these people are saying. Or some translations have the word babbling, babbling on and on and on, yada, yada, yada. Those repeating phrases that have no meaning, repeating phrases that have no impact. They're not even thinking about what they're really saying. They're just really spitting out these words, trying to move um, the heart of God or speaking to him in this way with these vain repetitions. In fact, in the first century, people would actually repeat these incantations as prayers to their idols, trying to get their false gods to do something. And Jesus was saying, look, God doesn't want these robotic prayers where we're simply babbling something on and on and on, going through vain repetitions. You know, I can remember when I was a kid, I was actually taught to pray in this way. And I don't, I don't think it was necessarily my parents' fault, but I can remember when, when we were a kid, when I was a kid, like anytime we were going to eat dinner or breakfast or lunch or any meal, there was a prayer that we had to pray before we could eat. In fact, Hunter, I'll never forget this prayer. Like it was simply this. It was God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. Before we could get any food, we had to pray that prayer. Now, as a kid, I was not thinking about how good God was. As a kid, I wasn't thinking about how great and how awesome and incredible God was. I wasn't even thinking about the fact that God had provided this for us and that he was our great provider. All I know is that I had to say this so I could finally get something to eat. It was just a robotic prayer that was in the way of me getting my meal. I had one similar. Uh, it was a little quicker so you could get to eat faster. Uh, good, mood, good food, good meat, good Lord, let's eat. Right? Amen. We that all know quicker. that one. Like that. It's quick. You can eat your food immediately. It's great. But, you know, even the Lord's prayer itself can become robotic if you're not intentional about what you're praying. I grew up playing football since middle school all the way through college. And I, I'm not kidding. Before every single game, we prayed, quote unquote, prayed the Lord's prayer. But really, it was more of a pregame chant than anything else. And I know that because by the time we got to give us this day our daily bread, we were also fired up to go play football. It was not English. Like we were just screaming at the top of our lungs, beating each other up. It was not prayer. It was a chant more than anything else. And you see, if we're not intentional about what we're praying, our prayers can become robotic. They can become monotonous. And sometimes they can even become meaningless. That's right. You know, and I, I really don't want to fault like parents if you were trying to teach your kids how to pray. And I don't fault my parents either for trying to teach us how to pray. And I don't want to fault maybe a, a coach who I don't know what all their intentions are, but I don't want to fault them either as they were maybe trying to teach their teams how to pray and why it's important. But it's just a reminder, church, that we need to think about what we're thinking about. We need to think about how our thoughts turn into actions, even how it comes to how we're praying. And see, with the Lord's Prayer, we were never to memorize, just memorize the format or just repeat the phrasing. Like we're supposed to go through the Lord's Prayer and follow what it says. And one more way that we typically start is actually at the end. We make prayer a last of all resort. You know, in verses 5, 6, and 7, Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, he's trying to remind people that this should become a habit in your life. This is communication to the Lord. But one of the phrases that's always bothered me, and again, I've said it too. One of the phrases that bothers me is when people simply say, all we can do now is pray. And sometimes when it comes to when we're in a moment of crisis, when there's something that we need now in our life, 
A lot of times people will go ahead and they'll ask their cousin and them first before they seek the Lord. Uh, they'll ask their mom. Uh, they'll ask their dad. Sometimes they'll even ask their dog for their, their advice. I mean, they'll do surveys on Facebook before they take it to the Lord in prayer. And church, prayer shouldn't be a last resort, but it should be a first step. So that's how we usually start when it comes to prayer. So how should we start? Jesus said this. He says, start with our Father. He says in verse 9, look, pray like this. And he gives this format to follow, not phrases to repeat. And he starts with our Father. Church, this is foundational because prayer is relational. Now, let's just pause right there for a moment. And I know sometimes in our culture, sometimes our foundations with our earthly fathers is broken. And can I just say that if, if that's you sitting in this room or even watching online, if the relationship with your earthly father is broken, I want to say that I am so sorry. There's never any excuse for when a dad abuses or harms their children or abandons their children. And I want to say for those of you sitting in, the room, in this room who are dads and who even will become dads one day, Man, this is such a high calling that God has given us to be fathers in our homes. And God has given us this great example, and he wants us to follow his great example. And if you're in this room today and you do have a broken relationship, don't give up on that. Even right now, you can still pursue reconciliation. Because of the grace that God can pour over any relationship, dads in the room, you can still take a step toward being an example as your heavenly father to your earthly kids because of the grace that God can pour over any relationship. But I know some people have had a bad or even tumultuous relationship with their fathers, and they can't say they relate to God as a father. But see, we are not to measure our our heavenly father based on our earthly fathers. In fact, he is the standard. We measure our earthly father based on our heavenly father because he is perfect. Jesus tells us to start our prayers with our father. Why, why does he tell us to start our prayers with our father? Why did he not say start with your creator? Why did he not say start with our king? He is both of those things. He is our creator and he is our king, but he told us to start with our father and there's a reason for that. I think the reason is, the, is so that we can realize that our God is relational. I don't think, I'm, I'm not saying relational, meaning that he's just generally friendly. I'm saying he is relational, meaning he is your father. He wants to be your father. He wants you to be his sons. Galatians 4.6 says, because you are sons, God has spent this, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying what? Abba, Father. Crying, Abba, Father, Jesus tells us to start our prayers by remembering our position as God's children and remembering God's position as our Father. And when we do that, it changes the way that we pray. When I was growing up, when I was in high school, I had this thing about new shoes. They didn't have to be new. They just had to be new to me, okay? So I just wanted a different pair of shoes. And so when I was in high school, living with my parents, and when I would come back from college break um, and live with my parents... I would just go to my dad's closet, you know? I didn't have to go buy a new pair of shoes. I would just go steal them from my dad's closet and say, hey, dad, can I borrow those shoes? And me and him both know that when me or my brother asked to borrow my dad's shoes, those things were never coming back. Those are ours now. He does not get those shoes back. 
these are my dad's shoes. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He always said yes. He never, he never said no when we asked to borrow his shoes, knowing that he would never get them back. He never said no. He always gave us his shoes. Why did he do that? Why did he not say, hey, no, those are mine? Because he wanted me and my brother to know that we were loved and that he would take care of us. That's what a good father does. He says, I will not be content until my children know that they are loved and they're cared for. Do you know that that's how God is listening to your prayers? That's why we start with our father, not our creator. Because when we go to God in prayer, he is our creator, but he is not some kind of tyrant. He's our father. He wants us to know that we are loved and cared for. And so when we go to God in prayer and when we start with our father, it frees us to be able to talk to God as our father. We don't have to always pray theologically correct prayers. We can pray to God as our Father because we know that He wants to love and take care of us. That's right. Again, church, starting with our Father is foundational because it is relational. But see, it's also positional. Jesus teaches His church to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. And He's teaching them to start with this idea look, we need to praise God for who He is, and we need to praise Him for all the things that He has done. Church, don't miss this because it sets our hearts in the right position. It sets our hearts in the right posture. And it even helps set our hearts in the right place. As we pray, we honor God. But we also even remind our souls, we remind our hearts who God is and all that he has done. It really will put any request that we have in the right perspective when you start here. So we want to just start out by highlighting some of the ways that as we pray, we can start our prayers off praising God, who is our Father, for who He is, and for what He's done. So when you start with our Father, remember that our Father is real. Our Father is real. When you pray, you're not praying to the walls in this church. When you pray, your prayers aren't just hitting those acoustic tiles up in the ceiling. When you pray, your thoughts aren't just rattling around in your mind. And again, Jesus saying, look, these hypocrites who, the hypocrite word back in the first century was used for actors in theaters who would wear a mask. Like they were literally like faking what they were doing. And he was saying, look, these hypocrites, they would pray as if their prayers were real to something that was fake. And Jesus saying, don't flip that. Don't pray as if you're praying to a God who is fake. You're praying to a God who is real. This is the creator of the universe. This is the one who Moses says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 that in the beginning there was God before anyone else or anything. He was the first real thing ever. And he's saying that you are really praying to this creator of the universe, the creator of the world, to the creator of you. And he wants us to realize that when we're praying, we're praying to a real heavenly father who is in heaven, but he created the heavens. In fact, the heavens declare the glory of God. You're praying to the one who is very real, not a fake God like so many people would pray to in the first century. But see, we also start with our father because remember that our father loves. Our father loves 
Now, um, now Hunter, um, I know you guys don't have any kids yet, even though I'm praying for 12 kids for you and Sarah Douglas um, one day. Can I get an amen on that? Anybody have an amen? Well, I don't know the whole congregation wants that to happen. But um, so my wife and I, uh, my wife and I, when, especially when our kids were younger, whenever we would try to correct them, train them, discipline them, challenging, challenge them, oftentimes when we would do any of those things, it was often met by some type of pushback. Um, there would be uh, some whining that would happen, some crying that would happen, some no, I don't want to do that would happen. So anytime we would challenge them or discipline them or try to cha- train them, again, there was typically some type of pushback. But what my wife and I would do, especially when they were younger, not so much now that they're a little bit older, but when they were younger and still now with the younger ones, anytime we would get some type of pushback, we would sing them this song. Uh, We would sing them this song to remind them, look, we're not trying to hurt them at all. What we're really trying to do is help them because we really do love them. So anytime they challenge us or push back or cry, we would sing this song. You know what, Hunter? I feel like I need to sing the song. I don't think you should sing the song. I'm going to sing the song, okay? This is how it went. It went, we're not trying to hurt you. We're only trying to help you because we love you. We're going to keep trying to help you. In fact, I'm going to have you guys all sing that song as well. I feel the spirit of Hunter Boom coming over here. Everyone stand up if you can. Come on, stand up. I'm not going to move on beyond this point until everyone in this room stands up. Okay, the words are on the screen for you. So let's all sing this together as well. Whether you have kids or not, whether you're still a kid or not, let's sing this song together. Okay, you ready? We're not trying to hurt you. We're only trying to help you because we love you. We're going to keep trying to help you. Boop. Okay, all right, you can sit down. Man, we were trying so hard every time to remind our kids that even when we were disciplining them, even then when we were pushing them to grow, we're not trying to hurt them. We were only trying to help them because no one else on this planet cares more about them than we do. And then when it came right down to it, sometimes we would also take that a little bit further and we would tell them, look, we're trying to teach you that when God disciplines you, when he challenges you, when he corrects you, there's no one else in this universe that loves you more than he does. In fact, listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 4 about this real God who gives this real love that comes from our heavenly father. He says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He is the very definition of it. Again, when we pray, we're praying to a God who gives this real love. This is relational. It is foundational. But this is positional. This is the type of love that we submit to. And in verse 9, John says, look, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Church, can I just say one more time that God loves you? That's not something cliche that we say in the church world. God really does love you. Even when you didn't know him, he loved you. Even if you're sitting in this room right now and you don't don't love him, you don't have a relationship with him, he cares about you. 
he loves you. He first loved us. So when we're praying to our Heavenly Father, man, we're recognizing that this incredible love comes from this incredible God. Now, starting with our prayer, uh, starting our prayer with our Father really is foundational, it's relational, it's positional, um, but it starts with our Father. Uh, you know, something that brings me a lot of encouragement is to know that I'm not the only son in the family of God. I'm not an only child. Um, it starts with our Father. And so your next point is our Father adopts. Um, when a person places their faith in Christ, they're adopted into the family of God. Now, what does that mean? We need to spend some time talking about adoption. And I realize that some of this is probably going to be information that you already know. Um, but I think it's important to cover this. It's, this is an important topic, uh, especially understanding it in light of your walk with Christ. So a lot of us probably have already heard that adoption in the Roman culture was a legally binding process where uh, a father would adopt a son into their um, a son or daughter into their family, and it was legal. It's not that much different than adoption today. Um, but what does make it different is the practices for biological children, okay? So for biological children in the Roman culture, they were given what's called the birthright, which was the estate of the father, the finances of the father, uh, the livestock of the father, whatever. All of that is summed up in the estate of the father, and that was given to the firstborn biological son of that father. So on the one hand, we see a super high responsibility, uh, a lot of weight. It was also the, the firstborn son's responsibility to carry on the family line. It was his responsibility for all that. So it's a heavy responsibility. It's a lot of weight. It's a lot of importance on that firstborn son. But also, in Roman culture, when a mother and father gave birth to a child, upon that child being birthed, they had the right to disown them if they found them undesirable for whatever reason. And that was not frowned upon. That was not discouraged. I don't know if I would go so far as to say it was encouraged, but it definitely was not a problem. It was they were within their legal rights to have a baby and disown them for whatever reason they found undesirable. And that, I think, is what makes adoption so important. In Roman culture, if a father adopted the child, that means that the father sought out the child it means that he went out of his way to bring the child into the family. And listen to this. Once adopted, that father was legally unable to disown that child. He was, it was illegal for him to, if, a, if he adopted a son or a daughter, it was then illegal for him to disown that child. And on top of that, that birthright that was given to the biological firstborn son was then given to the adopted son. So what do we see the son, the adopted son receiving? We see that he receives sonship. He's a part of the family. We, receive, we see that he receives assurance that he won't lose that sonship. Legally, he cannot be disowned. And third, he received the inheritance of the Father. So when we see verses like Galatians 4, 7, that says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Or verses like Romans 8, 17, which says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. What does that tell us? It tells us that we are the adopted children in God's family. God is the father who went out of his way to find us and bring him into his family. When we put our faith in Christ, we have become a part of God's family. We are unable to be removed from that family. And we are counted as equals receiving our heavenly inheritance equal with Jesus Christ, the firstborn biological son of God. This is what it means to be called a child of God. And this is how we know that our father is a good father. 
That's right. You know, remembering that our Heavenly Father adopts is also reminded that our Father is good because he wants to give us these good gifts as his children. Because no matter what our past or history wants to bring us into our family, but then also give us all the benefits that comes with Christ as part of his family, it's a reminder that as we pray, we recognize him as our heavenly father. As we pray, we remember that our heavenly father is good. And again, it sets our hearts in the right mindset to be reminded no matter what it is you're going through right now, even if life is hard, somehow, some way, God is going to work it out for good because our heavenly father is good. It's like what James talked about. Come on, we just finished our James series a couple of weeks ago when James says, look, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Again, don't believe the lie. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Or what Paul would write in Romans 8, 28, where he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, everything work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Look, whatever you're going through right now, as you pray, remember that God is trying to work it out for good, that he will work it out for good. God really is good all the time. Um, Even when we're not good, God remains good. So I want to go back to verse 9. And look at what it says, uh, hallowed or holy be your name. Uh, This is foundational. It's important that we understand that God, our Father, is holy. That's your next underline, is our Father is holy. Now, the word holy is pretty commonly translated to mean set apart. And when you see in the Bible the word holy in reference to God the Father, uh, it means that he's set apart from sin. Now, we also know from passages such as Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. David even says in Psalm 51 that he was born into inequity, or born into sin. So if we're born into sin, and God is holy, and God can't coexist with sin, but we're sinful people, how are we going to be adopted into the family of God? How can we have a relationship, an intimate, personal relationship with God, if he's holy and we're not, and he cannot coexist with sin? Sin does separate us from God. We deserve, based off of our sin, to be separate from God. We prove that every single time we talk down to your wife, every time you pray to impress the people around you, when you look a little too long at that person half naked on the beach, when you gossip about the person sitting next to you in the road this morning, when you lash out in anger against your kids who just aren't listening to you, we are choosing unholiness. We're choosing sin And when we sin, we do create a void between us and God the Father. But listen to what it says in John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one could come to the Father except through Christ because Christ was the only one that could come to the Father in the first place. He was the only righteous person who ever lived. And so we cannot come to the Father except through Christ. Do you know what they did in the Old Testament to be able to communicate with God the same way we communicate with him in prayer? Do you know what they had to do? They had to sacrifice an animal on an altar. And that blood cleansed them to the point that they could then be in communion in, uh, in the presence of the Lord and not immediately burst into flame. But do you know if we still had to do that, we would be knee deep in blood all the time. 
If that was true for my life, I would sacrifice an animal, stand to go pray to God, and by the time I got to wherever I'm praying, I would have to sacrifice another animal. We would be knee-deep in blood all the time, but Hebrews 10 tells us that it's no longer animal blood that cleans us. Hebrews 10 says, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 19, We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Christ died so that we could be made clean. Christ died so that we can enter the throne room of God our Father, who is holy, and Christ died so that we could be called sons and daughters of God. This is great news. If you don't know God, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, hey, this is great news. If you've known Jesus for a long time, this is equally great news. Guys, I am passionate about this because this, is, this changed my life. Knowing Jesus has changed my life, and that's why I want to live in accordance with his word That's why I am proud to be called a son of God. If you don't know the Lord, this is great news because this tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's right. That's right. It really is a good reminder that even though our father is holy, he wants to have a relationship with us. And the fact that he sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins, it's a powerful reminder that, look, God is faithful. Our father is faithful. See, he is holy Sin does not affect him. Because he is good always, look, he wants to have this relationship with us. And starting with our Father in prayer recognizes his faithfulness. And it reminds us that even when we're not faithful toward him, he's going to be faithful toward us. Uh, Just last Sunday, or the Sunday before, last Sunday, my youngest son trusted Jesus as the Lord and leader of his life. His name is Lucas. He uh, prayed to receive Christ. It was right after um, a lesson was taught here in the kids' ministry. We always ask our kids, hey, what did you learn um, in church? And they were talking about Ananias and Sapphira. And we asked them, hey, what happened to them? And they're like, they sinned, and then they got struck down, and they died. That's a story for another Sunday. But we, um, I simply asked them, I said, do what does the, the effects of sin have on people? And, um, and we start talking and just reminding him that sin breaks our relationship with God and it hurts our relationship with others. And then that turned into a gospel conversation where he ended up trusting Christ in that moment. He's been ripe, ready to receive Jesus as Lord. And then later on that evening, my wife was having a conversation with Lucas And he always remembered that we said so many times, look, God is never going to leave you nor forsake you. Philippians chapter one says that he who began a good work in you, he's going to bring it to completion. And he said to her, he said, you guys are always saying that Jesus is never going to leave me. Is that true? To which she replied, yes. And then Lucas said to her, but what if I want to be the one that leaves? What if I want to be the one that walks away? Will he leave me then? My wife said, no, he's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. God is faithful. When we're praying, we remember that he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. That he is the one who's going to bring the work that he started in you to completion. Our father is worthy. um, But our father is worthy of what? Well, he's worthy of our trust. It's worthy of our dependence. 
Father, it's worthy to be loved, praised, and exalted by us. And how do we know these things? Because he will never break our trust. He will never become undependable. He will always be there to comfort us in times of hardship. He is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the contrite in spirit. He will never stop loving us. God the Father is worthy of everything because he is all of these things. He's loving, he's faithful, he's holy, he adopts. God is worthy of our praise. So we lay down, we lay down our lives and hand over control, not simply because we're supposed to, but because God is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our lives. Yeah, last thing I want you to write down is simply this about starting with our Father. Is just that our Father is so much more. Look, church, we, we barely scratch the surface on just how good God is. We barely scratch the surface on just talking about all who he is and what he's done. And we can spend so much more time like talking about and thinking about and praising God for who he is and thanking him for what he's done. But Jesus wanted us to start with this in our prayer because this makes prayer even more relational. Praising God is foundational for us but it also helps our hearts be in the right position. So here's the bottom line for today. In case you've been sleeping the entire time, you missed everything, here's the bottom line for today. Look, we often start with prayer in the wrong place, but when we start with our Father, we see our position as a humble child. Now, as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, I'm done with you, you can go away, so... As our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, Hunter and I were talking, how can, we, how can we help drive this home a little bit more? How can we help put this into practice today? So on your seats, either somewhere around you, everyone has a card like this. And you also have a marker as well. So today, as we get ready to close out the service, we're going to sing one more song. And that song is called Gratitude. But we're going to go ahead and put this into practice right now. We're going to write down a prayer of praise and thanksgiving to our Heavenly Father. So on that card, I'm going to give you two prayer prompts to write down. I want you to simply write down, Father, I praise you because you are. So whatever that is, maybe that's something we talked about today. Father, I praise you because you're good. Father, I praise you because you love me. Father, I praise you because you are the very definition of love. Father, I praise you because you're faithful. Write down, Father, I praise you because you are. And then I also want you to write down, Father, I thank you because you have. Father, I thank you because you have saved me. Father, I thank you that you have provided for me. Father, I thank you that you will never leave me nor forsake me. Whatever it is, I think everyone can write down one prayer of thanksgiving for God today. But whether it's one or a hundred you want to write down, I want you to write down those two things on the card. And as we're singing that song, I want you to bring them down and put them on these steps. You know, back in the day, we called this the altar. Just as a, as a marking point for us to come down and be able to mark moments in our lives and literally to offer these things as praises to God. So write those things down and come down and lay them on the altar as we sing this last song. But we often start our prayers in the wrong place. But this week, church, let's begin them in the right place, praising God for who he is, thanking him for who he's done, all the things that he's done. Father God, I thank you, Lord, again, for your loving kindness in our lives. God, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. God, I thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. Father, I thank you that you are holy. 
Father, I thank you, Lord, that you adopt us and you bring us into our family. God, you bring us into your family, Lord. You know every single thing that we've done, but yet you still wanted to pursue a relationship with us. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to start in the right place when it comes to prayer. And God, even today, even in this moment, God, we want to offer up our praises to you because you are our Heavenly Father who is good. And God, we want to start with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, you write those down and you respond as God leads.